All right, today I'm thrilled for our guests and our conversation. Today we're going to be getting into how do we use worship to do healing at a spiritual and emotional level. I think music is one of the most profound mechanisms for offloading shame, um, unburdening the soul. Song, Mm -hmm. it works with the brain in such a way Mm -hmm. where it helps us to become more human. And I think there's a reason when we look at faith and science, they're both kind of pointing to worship, to music, and they're both saying something. Hey, this is important. This is something that God uses to help us. It's kind of like the Sabbath. It's a gift. Right. <laughs> I just love music. I love someone who is uh, very equipped uh, to help us. Our guest today is going to be, uh, has so much to share, but more than anything, I want you to pay very close attention as we're in this interview. Those of you watching, pay very close attention to the journey that he is going to describe that he's on right now. His journey uh, really has a lot to say, um, and I look forward to all of us receiving a blessing from it. Brian, welcome to the channel, my brother. I'm so grateful to have you. Thank you so much. It's a real honor to be here. I appreciate so much your work, and it's helped a lot of people and continues to help a lot of people, so thank you. Well, yeah, I, uh, you know, we wanted to connect last year and some things happen and, you know, the Lord has carried you. The Lord has continued to sustain, uh, both of us and so forth. So we could meet today, but I want to just give you plenty of room to kind of tell people about your journey. I think people have little fragments, you know, maybe they've heard something here and there, but I really wanted to kind of give a cohesive uh, sort of story to people about your journey and what you've been on, brother. Yeah, sure. As far as the the health journey specifically, um, yeah. Uh, at the end of last year, um, we went on vacation in Evergreen, Colorado, where my wife's parents live. One of my favorite places in the world, and um, I I was felt ill. I, I had been having a, some headaches, and I thought it was just sinuses, but. Um, I, um, they were getting, it got really intense. And, and one night I thought maybe I had COVID cause there was a little bit of a COVID going around at that time. And so I separated myself from, from my wife and kids and stuff. And, and, uh, that night, um, I just had really bad headaches. And, but by the morning I was, uh, kind of incoherent. I, I was, I was sort of rocking and chanting and in so much pain. And, but then by the morning I couldn't, like my wife was trying to get me to take a COVID test and I couldn't read the instructions. And then, um, and then I just kind of slipped into, uh, not knowing what was going on. So they called the, the ambulance and, and I had an ambulance ride and I was vomiting. But anyway, it t- turns out I had a, a tumor, a, a large tumor in the back of my head and uh, a little bit on the left side. And um, I had to have immediate surgery, but I was in Denver, so I had to quickly fly back here to LA, and uh, they were able to bring swelling down a little bit um, with uh, with medication. And then that began this this I had surgery to remove the tumor, and then brain surgery is is really intense because uh, your brain is important, <laughs> and uh, uh, and it was a really profound you know a lot of profound. Kind of experiences even surrounding that even with the spiritual realm and stuff that that i felt like i experienced and and then um and then just a, a long process of rebuilding learning how to 
because at the beginning, I after surgery, I couldn't, um, I couldn't, I could walk, but I, I, I really had a weird relationship to gravity, and I, I couldn't, um, I was, I had trouble like kind of compartmentalizing things, and uh, I couldn't use my computer, I couldn't really use my phone. Um, it was just, you know, a, a long process of rebuilding and relearning how to how to do stuff, and. Um, so now I'm, uh, you know, I had treatment. I had uh, the surgery. I've had chemotherapy, which I still have uh, once a month chemotherapy. And then I wear this device called Optune, which um, is is these. Uh, it has all of these, um, not sensors, but uh, modules or or whatever nodes, I guess, that create an electrical field in my brain. <clears throat> and what that is doing is inhibiting tumor cells replicating. So it, it stops that mitosis, uh, or, or, or slows it down anyway, so that the tumor because what, what, what brain cancer is, is rapidly, what any cancer is, is rapidly multiplying cells. And, and, um, the kind of brain cancer I have is glioblastoma, which is the most deadly kind of, of brain cancer. And so, you know, along with that comes, uh, you know, the normal, the, the regular sort of expected from, from when you're diagnosed to, to death is, is usually, uh, around a year, but, um, I, uh, have, have all, all the signs are to being in good health. I, my, my MRIs have been good. Um, I have another one coming up in October, early October. So, you know, ask for prayers for that. And, uh, I'm yes. praying for, for 20 years more, you know, I, yeah. why not? So, uh, and that's not outside the realm of, uh, of science, but of course, you know, God can do anything too. So mm -hmm. I, you know, the whole thing is, has, um, you know, it, it reminds us, reminds me of, of just how powerless we really are and, uh, of, of just the importance of surrender. And, um, I, you know, it wasn't that long ago, um, on this journey, I, 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 I felt like I heard this voice and, you know, I know. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in promptings of the Holy Spirit. I believe, I don't know, it wasn't like an audible voice, but it's obviously, you know, if somebody hears something from God and it's contrary to scripture, there's a problem. But yeah, but, uh, but what I heard is it was really, really clear. And it said, when are you going to learn to stop worrying about things you can't control? Hmm. And I feel like that's something you know, God's been trying to teach me for a while now through, um, some, some mental health journeys of my kids through, um, and just challenges with my kids have been through, you know, in their late teen years, um, through the pandemic, through challenges in our church, through all kinds of stuff. It's like, we want control, you know, and we, we don't have it, you know, we think we do, it's just an illusion. And, uh, but we gravitate towards wanting control. So, in that way, it's been good for me just to be reminded again of just I cannot control. There's so much I can't control, and I have mm -hmm. to let go. There has to be a surrender of that, and a and an entrusting that to to God who does control all things. So, mm. so anyway, that's kind of a. Uh, I probably went too long, but that's a snapshot of <laughs> what the journey. No, I you didn't. No, okay. there's a lot of people who care and who've been praying. There's a lot of people. Yeah. Who feel connected and and the thing is i'm realizing as uh after the pandemic and and just becoming more aware of health issues in general um is that 
it it's a shared burden in many ways. Yeah. It's something that obviously um, we have to be vulnerable with people and invite people into. But I appreciate you being willing to let people know. Some people they 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 kind of become very protective and sort of like I I don't want people to know. It's and yeah. and I just want everybody to know their their health is their business. It's I mean sure. privacy is important. But your willingness to invite people into the journey and the story of it, I'm I'm just grateful. And it's very vulnerable to do that. Well, I I I just I'm always going. What what is God doing? How can God use this? And and uh, and I am. I mean, like you said, people around the world are praying. I mean, it's crazy to get messages from people like I don't know you that I don't know, but they're like I pray for you every day, you know. And I'm mm. like, oh, that's that's convicting. That's humbling, you know. Mm. And, uh, and people that that take you know, that where my songs have, have comforted them through, through hardship or through loss or, you know, it's all anchor for the soul. I mean, so many people have told me like just stories about that song and it's just like, wow. I mean, God is, <laughs> it's just crazy. You know, it's crazy, but I, I am so thankful for the community uh, that I'm a part of not only here locally, but really around the world with, with uh, people who've been praying for me. So I, I really want to, Anybody watching this, if you're one of those people, I just want to say thank you so much for your prayers. And uh, my, me, I thank you and my family thanks you. And, uh, you know, I know we're going to be together forever in heaven, so we'll be able yeah. to talk about all of this. But anyway, thank you so much. Indeed. Indeed. So your album, Wait for the Lord, My Soul, it sounds like there might be a connection to mental health. Uh, can we take a moment to explore that a little bit? Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe I'm trying to think the best way. To, um, I might even just talk through some of the songs on the album, but um, please, yeah. So I was writing. I mean, there's. I'm always writing songs, you know, and and I may or may not release them, but um, I hadn't released a, an album for quite a while, um, since 2016 or something like that. And uh, we were just busy, you know, busy in ministry. And then when the pandemic hit. Um, and we were in lockdown. We were, it was actually, I, I, I mean, obviously I'm really, it was a, a sad time for so many who were experiencing loss and um, we had people in our church who passed away. And, but it was also kind of a, I don't want to say I enjoyed it, <laughs> but I'm an introvert, you know, so being holed yes. up and uh, just, I, you know, with my family and they're stuck with me and they can't go hang out with their friends, you know, <laughs> we're hanging out and, and, uh, um, we had church. We, we, we are one of the, the, the churches in our fellowship that, that rents, rents churches, rents facilities. No one rent to us. We couldn't even get anybody to rent to us parking lot, you know? So, um, we were meeting in my house or in, in my backyard, in this garage, we kind of made like a studio. Like a, mm. and, uh, uh, um, and we would just do all our services live in my garage and we'd have musicians over and we'd have social distancing. We'd open up the garage and then like one family group at a time would come and sit in the alley and we would have church. And it was just such a fun thing <laughs> doing church like that. And one of the things I learned is just um, like, cause I think church had been to me. And I think part of it is the culture of, of, of my, the fellowship churches that, that we're a part of, or just the way I, I grew up was just church is loud and it's big and it's, it's, it needs to be bold and it's conquering and it's, do you know what I mean? Like, uh, oh, yeah. but, but here it's like, it was so quiet, you know, even just, I was used to as a song leader and I came to music as a song leader and, you know, 
when you're a song leader in the early 90s or whatever, you're just loud and you're just, my Lord, he done done, my Lord, you know, just loud and crashed. <laughs> and, and that's not, that's okay, it's fine. But like, but now we're in this quiet space, you know, in my garage with me and a few other singers and it's just so quiet. And so I just learned to be quieter with my music and with singing and with songs. And, you know, it's just, uh, so like even the song, wait for the Lord, my soul was written in that context. And, uh, um, it's based on, on Psalm 130, um, which is my, my soul waits, my whole being waits, wait for the Lord, my soul. And, and like watchmen wait for the morning and just this, a lot of, of the Christian faith through the centuries, and, and God's people it is, is a story of waiting. I mean, you think mm-hmm. of the people who are in exile and, and you know, we all love to quote that, song, I mean, that, uh, that prophecy about, um, you know, uh, that God's with you and, 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 and everything, but, but that's on their way into exile, you know, that mm. they're, they're going to have 70 years of, wait, of waiting, you know, we don't, we don't always remember that part. Uh, you know, the, I know the plans I have for you, the plans to harm you, not to harm you, but to give you hope in the future. And, and, and we, but, but they had to wait, you know? And so I think most of, most of people of faith, it's very, it's very rare to be on top, you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. That's really good for us. It wouldn't be good for our souls. Uh, the God's people, typically it's more waiting, waiting for justice, waiting for, to see God make his promises fulfilled. And he always does, and he always will. But the spiritual discipline of waiting is is really important. And it's really throughout the scriptures of waiting on the Lord, waiting on God. So a lot of the of the songs on this album sort of have that posture of waiting uh, or of resting, you know, the, the idea of rest. Another song that's on there is called Let Me Rest, and it's from... Uh, you know, the, the, you will find rest for your souls. Matthew 10, is it? One of the things. Matthew 11, yeah. Matthew 11. I, yeah. I, I lose some of my, the numbers. I, I have an issue with numbers, especially right at the beginning. So some of my chapter remembrances. Yeah. But yeah, just like, um, maybe I'll, t- I'll talk more about that. Well, maybe I should talk about it now. Just that I feel like we, I was given a really wrong interpretation of Matthew 11. Hmm um of of uh where forceful men you, you know what i'm talking about like the forceful men lay hold of it kingdom of god is forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it that was kind of a mantra in our our family of churches and the and so it was almost like this culture of as an evangelist your first job is to be forceful like mm. make it happen and that's just not the ethic of scripture, you know, whereas on the other hand, I mean, I never heard lessons about being temperate or being, um, being patient or being kind, like kindness was almost like, like frowned upon, you know what I mean? Like not frowned upon, but just in our culture of ministry to be kind was not a value. And I'm talking about a while back, you know, people who are been around a long time, you know, kind of what I'm talking about that the culture, but, but Matthew 11 is saying, uh, it, they've even changed the translation. It doesn't say forceful men lay hold of it. It says the kingdom of God has suffered violence and violent men are raiding it. 
and since the days of, of John. So Jesus is saying, or, uh, you know, that what's being said is that, you know, we are, we're in this struggle, we're in this battle, and, and sometimes we suffer loss, and sometimes we have to wait for the victory, and there's violent men raiding, but, but you know, we can trust. We can trust in God. We can trust in Jesus. We can trust that he's got this, you know? So, uh, so and my apologies that, that scripture, that may be in Matthew 10. Sorry. I was thinking about, uh, Matthew 11, where it says, come to me, all you are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. rest yeah. And that follows. I yeah. that's sweet. Okay. It, it, I, I am. Yeah. I'm talking about the whole thing. So gotcha. yeah. So, so the name of the song is let me rest, um, still my soul in your embrace. So it's, Finding rest for our, my soul. How does that happen? It's through, you know, trusting in in His mm. His goodness and that He is the good shepherd. And you know, Psalm twenty three, and you know, He makes me lie down in, in green pastures. And he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Mm. You know, I, I think that's even probably Jesus probably even had in mind Psalm Psalm twenty three. Finding a rest for your soul. You know, He restores my soul. Um, that's the good shepherd. Um, so I don't have to be this forceful man, you know. In fact, those are the enemies of the kingdom of God. Um, mm. I, I, I can, I can trust. I can rest. I can. Uh, and I, that doesn't mean we're not active for the kingdom, you know. Uh, yeah. But but part of, of of how God can use us the most is if we learn to rest, if we learn to trust, if we learn to Sabbath, if we learn stillness and solitude and you know so those are the kinds of lessons that i feel like i've been learning over the last i don't know four or five years and and uh, and a lot of this, the songs are sort of they're coming from that space you know so how do we describe the connection between art music worship and mental health because this is so when i was when i went through and got my master's Marriage and family therapy, the idea of getting a clinical license or a, um, an ed a license or an education, a therapeutic education, um, when it came to art and let's say using music or, or song was like new and like barely conceptualized in many ways. But after that, now they're finding that even film can be used therapeutically. Art. Music, um, some of the forms of 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 treating trauma, like sand tray therapy, mm. um, using things that really access the part of the brain that contain experience and are very visual, you know, and so or auditory. So the different parts of the brain have different jobs, and music and art and film and all these things they tap into that in a very very special way. It's kind of amazing how we're, we're designed. We are brilliantly designed. <laughs> we have a brilliant creator, but there is a connection. There is a connection between art, music, worship, and mental health. How have you, uh, described that connection? Um, well, I don't, I'm definitely not a mental health expert. I can just speak, uh, from, my experience and you know we we've had um challenges within my family with mental health and uh um i i've i've gone to a, a few therapy sessions uh myself in, um and and that was be beneficial but um i i so i, I just speak as i'm not you know i don't i'm not a 
I'm a minister. I, I can speak in that arena. Absolutely. Uh, mental health is, is, is more your, your arena. But I, I do think that um, for myself as a melancholy person, uh, introverted person, yeah. uh, music is really, it was the, it, it was a balm for me and a balm for mm. my soul. And, and uh, just as a, as a uh, growing up in, in, in our church, um, you know, I, I love the songs that we would sing um, and, and so many of the hymns that we would sing as I was growing up and, and, and they, they are sort of foundational. And then, mm-hmm. and then I had my own songs and I had my own, like for me, it was, and I, I don't mean to alienate anybody, but you know, I graduated 89. So uh, for me, it was this, you know, eighties music and it was U2 because U2 was different than kind of a lot of the other hair band stuff you know that yeah. didn't really do it for me but U2 is real i mean if especially some of their early albums um i started listening to them in in, in middle school actually and uh you know they, they have uh they're very it's very um religiously informed it's very i mean some of the songs songs from the october album is just all scripture and it's very apocalyptic and it's uh but that so that was that was sort of what that was how I connected uh, with God and with um, with just the world, you know, was was really through music like that and, and writing my own songs like that. So some of my early songs that I wrote are so apocalyptic. And so, uh, like I, you know, I wrote this song, uh, uh, you know, just about the end of time and, you know, lots of songs about the. The sun is black, the sky is red, the stars are falling, the moon is dead. Mm. Is, <laughs> yeah, just just that uh, the shepherd sign is in the sky. It's called shepherd sign, but that, those are the kinds of I love just apocalyptic, just and you know, teen when you're a teenager too, you love stuff that's dramatic like that. But um, so music was a way to kind of help my own soul, I think, because I, I did tend to be negative or tend to be see the cup half empty all the time or, or whatever, just, or, or I don't know if I dealt with real clinical depression, but just I'm down and I don't know why, you know, or I'm, I'm, mm. I'm sad for no reason or, you know, and, um, and somehow music would just, and the Psalms and would, would help me just feel better, you know, would help me uh, feel in a better place. And even on this last album, I have a, a song called, um, uh, drive my fears away and it the song goes uh um seems like i can't see who i'm supposed to be feels like suddenly no one here but me Mm. so just that feeling of just being alone and isolated and um nobody understands you know kind of like elijah you know where he's just i'm the only one left you know that feeling Mm -hmm. and uh but then but then but, but then i pray and then so then the the chorus is drive my fears away stay with me lord hear me as i pray you promised me lord you're coming back someday forever my lord so drive my fears away so just that because man fear is a real thing and i feel like so much uh of Mm. mental illness or or mental health or i mean the the issues are fear it's, it's fear you know and and i love how jesus is always like don't be afraid don't be afraid yeah. don't be afraid and over and over don't be afraid i fear not and um i just love that he does that for us he, he can take our fears and and 
he doesn't always give us an immediate answer, but I feel like what his answer is, is his, is his presence. It's that he's there with us, that he is, you know, cause it's, it's kind of like when you're a little kid, you can experience anything if your mom or dad is with you. So I think if, if we have that presence of, of Jesus with us, it makes all the difference, you know? So, so anyway, that's kind of how I've learned to use music to, to, to express some of these. And it's funny, my parents, you know, when I first started writing songs, cause I was not expressive at all um, hmm. as like a teenager or I was very um, kind of closed in and I was an artist. So I would kind of express myself through art, but I'm sure my parents were like, what is that? You know, sometimes scary looking art. <laughs> you know, yeah. Was, yeah. But, um, but then when they would hear these songs, it's like, Oh, okay. Well, there's some real, deep stuff in there you know and uh, you know over time i learned to be more open and more expressive and and, and uh, but but music and song became a real way for me to to sort of express myself or wrestle with some of these these deep things yeah one of the things that uh uh we were talking about before we came on to interview was how what music does in a lot of ways is music kind of take thing takes things out of this like having to fit within this sort of tight window of comprehension having to fit within this mold having to fit within constraints and what music does i think for a lot of people who are struggling with overwhelm people who find themselves in a situation where they are overmatched they find themselves heartbroken yeah when you look at the research it's very clear, especially when it comes to things like trauma, a lot of folks get stuck from neck up. They're mm. stuck from the neck up. And what they're not able to do is really get neck down. Yeah. Music, number one, allows the body a lot of times, what do you listen to me? When you listen to music, what do you want to do? You want to move. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Movement is part of what trauma, you know, trauma, you know, the body holds the story. And so yeah. trauma, if you don't move it in the body, you don't move it. And so music is good because sometimes with music, it gets people moving. Mm. And then as we move, we express. Yeah. And when we express, we're communicating, which in some senses is what someone, let's say, who's in depression, like if they are in a season of depression, that starts to get shut down, their ability to communicate things. And so what I have found as a therapist is a lot of times when we have these traditional neck up approaches in terms of modality or whatever, yeah. music, art, poems, that gets all of it engaged. Yeah. And people can start to engage the loss of faith. They can start to move forward in terms of, okay, I can feel what surrender feels like in my body. Like mm -hmm. for instance, I'll have sometimes people be really, really tense. Yeah. Okay, let's release that. What's your body feel like now? Oh, I didn't real and so sometimes what I think music can do is it can create it can give someone the beginnings of emotional intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because music is a powerful mechanism that helps us to understand sometimes we were feeling something. We didn't have the words, because maybe there weren't words. We just yeah. had 9-11 uh, on Monday, the anniversary of 9-11. Yeah. And I don't care who you are at least if you're alive to remember it, 9-11 was a signature moment. Yeah. And when I have people sort of drum up that memory, 
it's something they can feel in their body just completely throughout yeah. the, like it it they remember it mm. and i think what music does sometimes music's kind of like that i think that's going to ramp but music is one of those things to where when you listen to a music it can heal your soul or some music depending on what it is can break your heart mm. or it just reveals a broken heart either way it goes music is useful in right. terms of engaging our emotions and our spirit Anyway, yeah. that, that's just Good. a couple of thoughts I had. No, I like, and when you were talking, I was thinking about how the Bible allows for, it has so much expression like that, you know, raising our hands or mm. falling prostate or, um, I, did I say the right word? Sometimes, sometimes, I, <laughs> you say, <did. laughs> sometimes I say prostate instead of prostrate. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a different thing. <laughs> but, um, but just like, it, yeah, just learning to express and, and just to speak personally, I think growing up in the churches of Christ and, and my family is many generations back church of Christ, which I love. I love it. I love sometimes if I, if I say something, I, I don't mean to be negative. Like I love so much the church family I'm a part of and the, the story I'm a part of, and I, I wouldn't trade it. I'm just so grateful for it. But I think it is a stream of more head up or neck up would you say approach mm. to theology it's it's kind of like you can prove why you need to be baptized or we can prove why mm. you know this doctrine is wrong or whatever you know and 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 almost like sort of down on the emotive um i'm not saying everybody but i i feel like i grew up sort of like down on this sort of emotional approach to worship where it's like well, what were you doing on Saturday night? And now you're acting like that on Sunday, you know, and that's just so, I, I realized like, gosh, I am, I am a sinner. Like I am, I'm the person who is like looking, I'm like the Pharisee looking at this woman who's like anointed Jesus's head with, I mean, his, uh, his head, her feet, wiped, wiping her feet with her tears and, and being like, yeah, kind of like, Oh, does she even know who this woman is? Do you know what I mean? Like just, God forgive me for my arrogance of yeah. just, and, and so I I've learned, and and that that was a process started a long time ago of just being more humble towards other expressions of worship and learning to raise my hands. You know, I I've, I've almost got where I can do two. Usually it's just <laughs> one. <laughs> once in a while I I venture two. You know, sometimes it's just a little more like this, but but I, that just wasn't in our our culture, it's, it's a cultural thing. I, I'm not saying one, one way of expressing is, but I think when people come from another sort of style of worship and then came into our church, I think for a while they felt so stifled. They felt like, you know, and you, it, you don't want it to be like, you know, pressure. Like if you don't raise your hands, you're not really worshiping and everybody's like condemning you. You know what I mean? Like you don't want either. And I get where some people, you know, I've been in, in church situations where, uh, not in our fellowship, but just visiting other churches where people are are falling on the ground or rolling around or doing mm -hmm. things, barking or <laughs> don't know, just, oh, yeah. and it's it. I mean, it is pretty distracting. And I'm not I'm not saying that we should be doing that. And I mean, I'm not trying to throw shade on it either. It's just uh, I, I'm just saying that I've I've learned that different people kind of connect in different ways, you know? And so even if you don't, 
I think even if your own, what I love is if your church community on Sunday is really diverse. Like that's what I think is beautiful. That people are coming from all kinds of different cultural backgrounds mm-hmm. and coming together. And you're just valuing that diversity. You know, it's, it's, it's the shared love of Jesus gathering around the table of communion. And there's just a diversity there. Like that's what I feel like it was like in the first century. And that's what I, I love if we can have a gathering like that. It's not just homogeneous. It's not all people that think the same or express their worship in the same way. Or do you know what I mean? So uh, I'm just. I do. I, I've been learning to 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 worship from people that are not like didn't grow up the way I did or whatever, mm-hmm. and and learning to love it, and, and it's good. So you, I was really hoping that we would naturally get to a question that I have, a couple questions that I have, and it just so happens that naturally we, okay, <laughs> we have. And I think that this is a question that, um, a couple questions that I have that you are specifically equipped to lean into and actually be very helpful. So there's a couple of things. In our local congregation, we've got an awesome, awesome worship band and all of that. One of the things that we've begun to do over the last couple of years is sing songs in other languages. Mm, wow. And we're in Midwest Nebraska. Like, so we're in the heart of the Midwest. <laughs> we're in Cornfield, Nebraska. And so, but we have, like, our church is just, it's very diverse in a lot of ways. We've got Africans, we've got African Americans, we've got a, a very, I mean, a growing Hispanic, um, Latino uh, uh, community. Like, we, we're, I mean, it's burgeoning. And so there will be days or Sundays where we've got to have translators. Because we got people praying who don't speak English. I've noticed in our sort of um, the culture, that stuff is overwhelming for people. It's kind of like, well, wait a minute. What? I thought we we're just going to sing in English. Yeah. Okay. Number one. So that's number one. Number two, I think that there is a pushback because of let's say the hillsong culture people are beginning to push back and say okay guys turn on the lights mm-hmm. okay why are we turning the lights down mm-hmm. that's a whole thing i probably a whole podcast on that but i want to get i want to get at that and lastly i want to get at i gotta get to this while i got you i want to get to the conscience issue that at times people have around using instruments Mm. And you are brilliantly equipped because you don't just have, I mean, you have a master's, like I didn't even go through your bio. You can read it in the, in the, in the uh, description, those of you listening, but you know your stuff and your family has tie-ins to more of the traditional streams. Mm-hmm. So this idea of instrumentation has been in many ways framed as a conscience or a salvation issue. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the first thing is the using different languages. The second one is turn the lights on. And thirdly is, wait, you're using music. (laughs) I'm sorry. Instruments. (laughs) Okay. That's good. I can only, my brain only lets me remember two. So if I forget (laughs) of that one again, so uh, the first one was instruments or the first one was uh, languages. Languages. Yeah, um, you're 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 farther along than we are. I mean, we're we're only as far as using Spanish in 
you know, in my local congregation. But, but I, the principle, I feel like it, it needs to be taught again and again of valuing diversity. That's what I feel like. I, I like, I've always really liked an eclectic approach to, to, and when, when we say worship, you know, worship is everything. Worship is, is a posture, right? Worship is, mm. uh, um, you know, uh, giving God the honor he deserves. So we're not talking about just singing. I think sometimes we shortcut and say, when we say worship, we mean the singing part of the service. I know we don't mean that. I'm just saying, right. I just want to acknowledge that. We, we, worship is a lot more. I know you, you, you believe that and I believe that. But sometimes when we say worship, when we're talking about the service, we're just talking about the singing part. So please forgive right. us for that. But we know that's not the only thing worship is. <laughs> so yeah. just asterisk. But, um, but I think, um, I, when I'm, first of all, it, I, it helped when I learned or realized that whatever, whenever you, because of the stream we're a part of, which is this, you know, um, frontier, um, uh, Protestant frontier church, you know, and then that led into this, uh, place where it, it's kind of driven by it's actually kind of driven by the record industry. I hate to say mm. it. It's kind of driven by the Christian record industry. Um, but we're, we're, it's just a lot of new. I mean, when I was a kid, it's the same song. It's really rare to have a new song. You know, it's the hymn book. It's, it's whatever's in the hymn book, you know. And, uh, but now it's almost like it's just flying at us, the new songs. And I love it. I love the new songs. But there is sort of a, a one genre now of, of, of music in a lot of churches um, that is the top 10, you know, CCLI, the mm. um, kind of the, the publishing air world of, of, of these songs. And I, I don't, we can lament that or we can just go, Hey, you know, there's a lot of good messages in these songs and let's just, let's just con contribute other things to it. And that's how I, I've tried to just be positive about that stuff and not get um, um, bothered by it, but just, you know, there's certain songs that would bother me or we wouldn't sing because I was bothered by it. And then eventually, okay, I give into it and okay, we'll sing it. But I still am bothered by some of the, you know, some of the lyrics that I, I have a problem with theologically, but if we just teach on it, you know, then I feel better or whatever. But, um, but uh, I, I think, so I think the fundamental thing though, is I think being willing to, as a church go, this is a collective and, and the more diverse, the better to me. Because we learn from from each other, we learn from diversity. You know, Jesus purposely, even though it was a Jewish community, and and that's the way that even the prophets said it would be that it would start in Jerusalem and start with the Jews. Even within Judaism, it was very diverse. You know, it was a very diverse uh, group. You know, you, you have a tax collector, um, you know, mm -hmm. and then you have a, a a zealot. You know, which are the opposite ends of the political spectrum and even just worldview uh, of, of their day. So I think as long as we celebrate diversity and then know that whatever it is that we're, so we've as a congregation talked about what, what are we trying to do when we gather on Sunday? Like number one, we're gathering around the table of communion. That's why we're here. We're, we're, we gather on the first day of the week to break bread, to remember Jesus. And then, and then worship is why we're here. We're here to, to honor our God and to celebrate what he's doing in the world and to celebrate um, 
and, and to be transformed by that worship, you know, to, to, as we, mm. as we worship, as we commune, we become transformed, you know, more to be like, more like him. And, and, and then after, as we gather around the table and we share in this communion experience together, then we're sent out you know, we're sent back out into the world and we've been transformed. We've been changed. And then we, we are his representatives to the world, you know, and, and, and then we come back again and like, like that's what we're doing. Like, so I think as long as we have that fundamentally, then the songs can change or the styles can change or, and they should change if, if we're, if we're a type of church, there's some types of churches that they're trying not to be culturally relevant. Like they're trying to, like the Eastern Orthodox church, they're trying to stay exactly the same. We're, we're part of a, of a stream where we're trying to be relevant. We're trying to stay, you know, engaged with culture to some degree. And so that means that our style is going to change. And so always you're going to have young people wanting to sing the young songs, mm. old people lamenting the old songs. And do you know what I mean? You're always going to have that if you have diversity. And so we, we have to kind of speak to that and go, this is okay. You know, like we all got to give a little, you know, yep. <laughs> we all got to give a little, we all got to, it's not, maybe the whole service won't be what you like, but just learn learn to love different things. I mean, I've So let me let me put it let me let me let me let me say this real quick. Okay. So what I hear you saying, let's go back to the comment which is fascinating, which is um I can't remember the acronym, but Christian music as an industry really mm -hmm. does set a tone. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of a downstream culture that flows from that. But that's that's something we would want to look at in terms of okay, um, where are we getting our cues from of what worship, quote unquote, music should look like in a service? Okay, so that's a thought. I, I yeah. might want to come back to that. The other part is, is that, so worship, you'd mentioned it's a posture. I love that. I'm, I'm going to actually use that. Um, and what that means is it's not about us. Right. It's not about my tongue being used to worship God. It's about our hearts being used collectively. And the posture that Paul says in Corinth, when he's writing to the Corinthians, is uh, one body, many parts. You can't say, I don't need you. You can't say to someone else that I'm more important. And, and there should be order, right? Mm -hmm. That being said, um, now we get into the turn the lights up. So there's yeah. this pushback, and again, we're, we're dealing with different cultures, right? We, you've got a, yeah. an older culture, a builder generation culture. You've got a new culture that is more digitized and fast moving. There's all these different sort of confrontations going on. But turn the lights up. Mm -hmm. Help us decode that comment a little bit because I'm, I'm hearing it more and more. Well, okay. So where did, where, how did we get the lights turned down? It's because the church was lacking in... Um, a vertical connection the church was mm. like you know it was um hmm. i think the, the church was sort of it's about um theological truths it's about um you know doctrinal purity um but but you know this the lights are all up and it's it's we're seeing you know scriptural songs and that's good but so i think we um and when I say we, I mean all sort of American churches, I think, and, or, you know, this, this, this kind of non-denominational world or whatever, you know, kind of contemporary um, approach to worship just 
really realized we were missing that piece of just this vertical, you know, this vertical connection to God. And I think um, what I think some of these churches found was like people are more uninhibited when they they feel more anonymous. And you feel more anonymous when the lights are down. And I've experienced that myself. You know, the first time I raised my hands, I kind of wanted the lights to be down. <laughs> uh, so, and there is something of there. It, it's just a, it's just a, um, I don't know. It, it's a kind of a, a crowd dynamics thing of, of there being, something loud on stage and no, you know lights and and you're in this sort of vacuous hall and it's dark and you know you can you feel anonymous and i get that there's that's what something that when you say the hillsong model that's the hillsong model you know it's hmm. it's, it's huge it's like a concert it's like and mm-hmm. i've I, you know cold plays my one of, another one of my favorite bands and i've been to cold oh, yeah. so play a few times and 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 i it is like a religious experience i mean people are the lights, the sound, the it's people love it. They're connecting. And, and so I think that's, that's what people are going for. I think with that Hillsong style, but that's just to a point, you know what I mean? And, and so I think it's to a point. And I think there, the Bible also says, and in Ephesians, it does say, sing and make music in your hearts to God. But then it says, speak to one another with Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So I feel like there should also be a horizontal component to our gathering where we are speaking to one another with, and we're encouraging one another. And so that might look different for each church where, I mean, we have experimented sometimes with, um, you know, the lights up for certain types of songs or certain parts of the service and then lights down for other moments or even just a special service that's really designed to, to allow people that sort of vertical, you know, in the dark kind of moment or whatever. But, um, I think it's 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 a good conversation to have though. And and what I love is an eclectic approach and trying different things. You know, I love that we can have it all. We can try it all. We can try the latest Hillsong tune, but we could also sing, you know, an ancient hymn, you know, from yes. like, you know, four hundred years ago or something. You know. So but in term in terms of people having you actually blended those really well together because that leads into the last piece, which is there are people who, and I don't know if it's a generational culture, and I don't know how long-standing conscience issues have have been associated with instrumentation being used during worship, and and that's more of a church history, systematic theology around it, probably that you are more aware of. But um, there are people who have a legitimate constant conscience strickenness if an instrument is being used because of what you just said. Now, again, I don't want to flatten the argument. Or yeah. create a caricature out of people who hold that conscience perspective because there are other scriptures that they would say, well, what about this? And what, it's not just make music in your hearts. That right. being said, this feels like a real thing for people. And then some people, I don't know how it happens, but they, they leave that culture and they join a culture, kind of like the one that you and I are more associated with, where worship is more um, bifurcated. They're, they're, on one hand, you've got you know a Hillsong whatever and then you've got to 300 year old traditional song used um mm-hmm. in the same service without and so i like that because that captures the hearts of yeah. everyone and and but i am kind of wondering though in terms of a biblical precedent are instruments from a new testament perspective prohibited 
Well, uh, so the, the, the argument is kind of going away a little bit in that um, it was a huge argument. You're right. And it's one of those things that gets, um, it, it gets sort of uh, short, short, shortcutted or uh, oversimplified. Where that developed is um, so the, the churches in the north. Um, so this I'm talking about before, like I'm going to just talk about restoration churches for a second. So restoration movement, the idea of of we're we're Christians only, not the only Christians. It was a unity movement. Uh, it was an idea of let's let's unite around the scriptures. Let's you know this is the Campbellstone movement. Um, and and so it was very much a a unity movement. It's trying to mm-hmm. try, let's let's unify all these different streams, and uh, in, in its origins. And it's actually the first uh, first denomination in in the in uh, the New America, the, the United States of America. It's the first first new denomination is is this uh, is the Restoration movement, and and it kind of mm-hmm. came out of this Great Awakening and all that stuff, but. So what, but what happened is the churches in the North had more money and the churches in the South had less money. So the churches in the North could afford an organ, the churches in the South couldn't. And so you ended up having um, instrumental music, North Christian churches, non-instrumental music in the South churches of Christ. And, and I, I feel like the rationale for the textual backing for that, I think that developed later as sort of a way to to fight each other. I, you know, I, I don't, I haven't studied it a lot, but but it's definitely not as simple as Christian churches, Church of Christ split over instrumental music. There's a lot more cultural things going on, as is probably always the case with you know, mm-hmm. church dynamics. Is always cultural stuff, but nowadays, just you know, I have uh, a lot of fr- I have friends who are in the, in the ministry in, in churches of Christ or, you know, through Pepperdine, different ministers who are, and that it's not really an issue anymore. In fact, I mean, it is with certain people, like older people in particular, and there, there might be young, uh, you know, young zealous people in the, in the Bible Belt Church of Christ that are still really making a big deal about instrumental music, but it's, it, it's not something I hear much anymore. And in fact, some of the biggest churches of Christ or most well-known churches of Christ have an instrumental worship service so they just have separate services so they'll do like the earlier services acapella and then their later service has instruments now so um, that feels more cultural than doctrinal and the reason why i said i just yeah. brought this up in my interview with scott mcknight which is sometimes and i believe that the older generation they protect doctrine well I, mm-hmm. and i and i want to if you're listening to this and you're in the builder culture i appreciate how committed people have remained to the the things that relate to salvation baptism Mm -hmm. things like that sometimes as we become safeguards of 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 doctrine we also begin to safeguard culture right and the next generation i think pushes back yeah against some of the protection around culture because you can't elevate that to doctrine right and then sell that in the scriptures and i i do think sometimes ideologically we encounter something in our culture our society we form an ideology and then we kind of reverse engineer a theology around it right and we do that with a lot of things 
And I'm guilty of doing it too. So I'm just as guilty as anyone else. I can assure you that. Yeah. But I think sometimes to your point, we come up with a need or we come up with a perspective and then we just adapt our hermeneutic around it. And yeah. we start to explain it uh, in a way, at times aggressively. We can aggressively yeah. sort of insinuate that, no, this is sin. Right. Um, no, that's just a difference in culture. There's, There's a difference. difference in opinion matter. Like, let's let's choose our battles. Yeah. Boom. But but I didn't know that it's not as much of an issue. So it's becoming I, I less know. and less, at least in my experience, you know, if somebody's listening to this and they, they've seen something differently, I, I'm seeing in within the churches of Christ, I'm talking the mainstream churches of Christ, they're not fighting on that hill as much anymore. It's um, but I, I will say this though, I really appreciate so I was um some of the early songs that I wrote uh were in, in an a cappella setting. So like Be With Me Lord or I Need Your mm. Love or some of these songs um, I wrote for acapella and then, um, you know, I, we, I, I can't remember exactly what happened, but we had some retreat or something and I couldn't get the part singer. What we used to do is have the part singers, you know, and the, each person has a mic and stuff. And that was the way we always did worship. And, uh, and I had already, we had already started to do instrumental but it would be like a performance, you know, like Greg Maritsky, who was my campus minister back when I was in college, wow. he wrote a lot of songs, but they were like a performance song, you know, not a everybody's singing uh, yeah. song, you know, so there was sort of a differentiation. Nobody really said that, but it was just like that. And um, but then we had this one retreat and, and I, I couldn't get the part singer. So I was like, I'm just going to play my guitar with these songs and, and people loved it, you know. So then I started playing guitar with with these you know hymns and stuff kind of making my own versions of them or whatever and and adding in some instruments and and and, and uh you know and and for sure our churches have become largely more and more and more instrumental the, the thing that I, i'll say to to guard against or watch out for when you do when you do make that when when, when you have the instruments you, you bring with it more just more opportunities for for issues <laughs> because there, you've got to have a certain level of, of expertise. Uh, you've got to have expertise when it comes to sound and mixing. Um, there's a real tendency for things to get too loud, I feel like, and you lose the voice of the church. Like, wow. I always want to be hearing everybody sing. And uh, I've been in some church situations, especially like kind of evangelical church situations where it's so loud, I can't even hear myself sing, you know? And it's like, I want to make sure we always hear the church you know, hear the voice of, of voices around us. Now that's, that's an opinion matter. It's not, I can't say, you know, that's a scriptural matter. It's a doctrinal matter, but preference. I love to hear and, and, and coming out of the church of Christ coming out of an acapella background. That's a, that's a real gem that we want to hold on to even like singing in harmonies and things like that. Like that's kind of unique to hear harmonies and there's something about that, you know? Um, and, and, and so there are people who like lament the loss of that, like, we used to be known for our harmonies and our part singing. Yeah. And I go, yeah, you're right. I mean, and, and let's, let's keep that. Let's, how can we keep that? And, but, but let's also not these young people that are just moved by these like elevation worship songs are like, we, why, why should we say, no, no, we're not going to bring that in either. You know, like, let's just have both. So if we can have both, I want to have both or have it all have an eclectic approach. That's what I want. I heard a woman, um, named Naomi Walters. She's a professor at Rochester. And she 
it's kind of weird. On one hand, she's a Church of Christ daughter and she preaches. She believes in her gift of, of being, um, being able to preach. But on another hand, she's fairly conservative when it comes to instrumentation. Now, would, it, would she say that using instruments of sin and so forth? No. But one thing she brought up that has stuck with me, and this is like maybe three or four years ago, she said there's something about when you're singing, you mentioned a moment ago that you can't even hear yourself, let alone one another. And the voice of the church is lost. And she said, when people are singing a cappella and they're listening to one another, there is a, an intimacy there. There's a, yeah. a, a receiving and a, there's a connection. Yeah, for sure. And I got to be honest, when we, it's weird. We pretty much use the band for 99%, but there are times where it's just the people. Mm-hmm. I really, and thank you for making songs that are acapella, man. Those, I need your love. Oh my goodness. Oh, that just brought up so many emotions. Mm. Like, oh my goodness. Like, oh, just this sort of wellspring of, oh, I remember. I remember Mm. hearing everyone. I remember. And then very slowly, at least, because I got baptized in 01, very slowly instrumentation became more of a standard. Yeah. But I do think there's something sacred about you and I, like I'm a bass. I sang mm. in uh, junior high and high school and so forth. I got awesome. a deep voice, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I um, I love when we hear. Sometimes when I'm singing, Brian, I'll just shut up so I can hear everybody else. Yeah, me too. I, I do that. And sometimes that ministers to me more than if I'm singing. Yeah. Um, sometimes if I'm really overwhelmed, I, I can't even sing. I just have to be. Yeah. So it's almost like we're all co-laborers when we worship. Everyone's doing their part, and we don't even realize how we're ministering to one another when we're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but going right. back to this idea of of using overdoing instruments, overdoing the performative aspect of it, that I think is part of what people are pushing back against with the Hillsong model or and not mm-hmm. to pick on Hillsong, right? But it's this one, two punch right now, Brian, where yeah. you get them with the worship and then you hit them with the sermon. It's this one, two, you got to get, and you and nowadays it's like, you got to be competitive. Like I didn't realize this until a couple of years ago. There are churches who will hire professionals yeah. for Sundays. That's what they do. Yeah, I didn't know a, that. There's a church in our area that, uh, like the most prominent church in our area that actually there's kind of a, there's a big shakedown in the leadership of that area. But one of the problems with this new pastor that came in, he just hired outside people and didn't use anybody from within the own congregation. And the people that he hired, some of them weren't even believers. So they're just, they're, they're singing these songs you know, and they're the, you know, the, the top 10, the elevation worship, the, you know, Hill song, the, the top songs, but they're singing it for hire and don't even, they're not even believers, you know, it's just like, and so their board in that church was pushing back against that. And it caused that among other things caused a rift in this huge mega church congregation in our area. And, and uh, that guy left and started a new church and, but anyway, it's yeah, it's a real, it's a real thing. I, I see where it comes from. You want it to be excellent, but, but you're, you know, it, and I think there's a pushback against that. I honestly think younger people, 
there there's a there's a, a real hunger you know and, and when my people my kids age there's a hunger for authenticity and i mm-hmm. think this mega church model that was sort of big it, it's it's crumbling you know i i mean i'm sure you've mm-hmm. listened to the rise and fall of mars hill uh, i just i ate up that podcast i just loved it so much because it just made me feel like okay some of the things in our church well they weren't that bad you know or uh, it's just we're part of a bigger thing, right? We're part of a bigger thing of what God is doing amongst these different churches. And 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 I feel like there's a spiritual battle going on or there's, you know, there's just big cultural streams. And so this mega church thing and, and you know, the church I'm a part of at one point, we we did state, I mean, we want to build a mega church in L.A., you know, and and um, that that changed pretty quickly. And, and, and the congregation almost every Sunday, we're part of the LA church of Christ, but it's, you know, 200 people on a Sunday. So it's, you can see everybody, you can know everybody, you meet everybody, you know, it's not like this where it's so big, it's, uh, you know, you don't know people anymore. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's more like on a given Sunday, there's more like, I don't know, 150 people there, 170 people. I don't, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's just a perfect size. I feel like that's kind of the perfect size. Um, but um, but I think we're we're seeing this, uh, you know, some of these churches like uh, the um, what's the name of the group? It's within the the Churches of Christ um, uh, mental mental lapse here. There's these churches in the South that are they're they're new churches. They're all young people, um, or a lot of young people. They're kind of like starting new churches within the churches of Christ, but then, but they're, they're doing different things. Like for example, communion is very, um, uh, interactive, you know, and they're, you know, they're talking about, you know, let's, whatever the, there'll be a question given and, and then just just split up into groups and let's talk about it. It's just very like, uh, commun- communal, you know, and, and, uh, not so, um, so performative or like from the yeah. stage, you know, it's, it's like, and I think that that is there's a hunger for that, you know, this authenticity, right? Mm-hmm. You, you ask young people, what are they? What's their biggest critique of the church? It's a lack of authenticity, and and uh, and and so people are wanting authenticity. And I think you get that when you simplify, when you have smaller gatherings, when you, you know what I mean? When you're trying to build a mega church, yep. you just lose a lot of authenticity and you lose a lot of the connection. Um, so I want to ask you now, what are you working on? And if we have time, I actually want to, uh, do an off the record, uh, question for you, but, um, let, what are you working on? What are you, what are you up to? Um, well, that album I mentioned, um, wait for the Lord, my soul. Um, I'm trying to, I, I, I finished that right at the, right before I got sick. And so I never really promoted it. So, um, part of why I wanted to talk to you was just even letting people know about it, you know, letting your audience know about that album. Um, nowadays I don't burn CDs anymore. It's just, you put it, you know, you, you upload it to the world and then you get it through whatever streaming service you use, um, iTunes or, um, or whatever it is, you know, that you use, uh, Spotify, most people nowadays. Um, so, uh, I'm trying to like build some videos for that. Some, some, um, uh, like worship lyric, uh, lyric videos that people can use in their services if they want, or just meditating on their own or whatever. But then when I was, um, you know, I told you 
when I was building that, putting an album together, um, I had kind of a bunch of songs that sort of fit two categories. So one was the, like I'm talking about the songs I wrote during the lockdown that were sort of, or, or even during kind of wrestling with some mental illness stuff that are sort of more introspective, more um, wait for the Lord, you know, waiting on God kind of songs, quiet. And so that's what this album is. But then I had this whole other bucket of songs that just didn't fit those that's big and loud. And because I've been doing um, youth camp for like 20, 12 years, 13 years, something like that, a long time, um, where we go up to the mountains. And, and, you know, with a bunch of campers, you want loud, high energy, uh, jumping around, you know, kinds of songs. Like, And so I had a, a bunch of songs I'd written for that. Um, and then, and then some other kind of congregational songs that are more upbeat. Uh, I feel like um, we need more sort of home in heaven type songs, or you know, mm -hmm. simple to sing kind of songs. Because I, I, that's one critique I have of of some of the newer <clears throat> songs coming out of uh, Maverick City or Elevation or like I, the the top songs that are coming out right now. I love them, Phil Wickham, but they all have like an octave jump, and they all have um some of them are easy to sing a lot of them are not easy to sing i mean if you just listen to what the church is doing they're either not singing or they're having a hard time you know they're, they they really highlight they're, they're great to listen to they're just hard to sing and so i feel like one of the things i've always been passionate about is writing really songs that are easy to sing and so that's where i like, even pitch them lower than maybe where i could sing you know you know but um but i'm trying to make it something that people can sing you know like a mm -hmm. so this album this new album i'm working on i'm not sure if it's going to be called um uh, i'm not sure what the name of it's going to be but it's going to be those kind of camp songs those upbeat high energy songs and then some some more easy to sing songs that are that are simple i love it brother and let me just say this is this has been even more of a blessing probably than before if we would have done the interview. And I don't say that in terms of wishing any harm on, on you or anyone else, but what I know is that when someone loves God, his spirit is in them, they are, I mean, truly an overcomer. And mm -hmm. God takes us through everything. And and that's that's the what he does. And he never fails. And so I'm just grateful to have you on. I want to say to you what I say to all my guests that we are with you. And bro, we are with you and God Amen. is for you, my brother. Thank you for joining us today. Amen. I appreciate that. You too. God is definitely with you. And uh, I really appreciate all your, your audience as well. And, uh, you know, my sister being one of them and uh, yes. she's the one that first introduced me to you, your, your work yeah. and uh, a long time ago. So really appreciate the fact, the impact you're having in her life and, uh, you know, our whole family's life. And so keep on doing what you're doing. Oh, dude, Holly is, I mean, I probably get emotional if I talk about it too much, but like, dude, she has been one of the biggest gifts I could honestly even, I didn't know, I didn't know she was there. <laughs> I didn't know there was a Holly, <laughs> but um, dude, your sister has been, oh my gosh, she has become a friend. She is my director of communications, bro. I, 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 dude, she is amazing. I, she, I'm yes. so grateful. So anyways, I thank you for your time. If you've been watching through this entire episode, <laughs> I want to thank you for your time. Yeah. And I will see you next time. Take care.